second grade and below it's time for children's church we don't have it printed in our bulletin who's teaching this morning so uh, whoever it is it's a surprise perhaps to you miss Dorothea do you remember from our list well she did it last week oh man all right well kiddos second grade and below looks like miss Tina Coward 
Yeah. We need to get a little clarification on that list. Thank you, Tina. Yeah, I didn't even, I don't have my glasses on, so I can't really see faces out there. So I didn't see it until now, Miss Melanie. Thank you for being here. Um, well, if you have your Bible, open up to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. When America was founded July 4th, 1776, she was founded as part of a conflicted movement. You probably know this. There was a lot of conflict, obviously. For much of the time that the colonies were part of the the British Empire, our representatives of the colonies made attempts through diplomatic means to attain greater freedoms and less taxation for those living in the colonies. The motivation that they were driven was never to form a separate country. That was never their initial motivation. It was to, to gain freedoms and to gain liberties that they believed were being taken from them. As you read through the Declaration of Independence, you begin to realize what their motivation truly was. Nevertheless, this occurred. Revolution, a new country was formed. It occurred, and when it did, there was a great conflict between those who did not want to split away, who are called the Loyalists, and those who were done with diplomacy and were ready to fight, the Patriots. And in their deep conviction, the Patriots claimed the many efforts they had made to avoid a revolution and avoid this fighting, and their many efforts to resolve their issues with British tyranny through diplomacy. But in the end, they resolved that their many attempts could no longer put up, for lack of a better word, with the present government as it was. Hence, they wrote in their declaration, but when a long train of abuses and usurpations Pursuing invariably the same object evinces a design to reduce them under absolute despotism. It is their right, it is their duty to throw off such government and to provide new guards for their future security. Such has been the patient sufferance of these colonies and such is now the necessity which constrains them to alter their former systems of government. An excerpt from our Declaration of Independence. Enduring words penned by Thomas Jefferson and edited by those in attendance and sponsored by our forefathers, the forefathers of this great nation, as they signed it and put their lives on the line. And in this declaration of a new freedom, of a new nation, I see a great correlation between the declaration that we are able to make when we are granted a great freedom in Christ, through Christ, by Christ. And looking at what Peter says in chapter 2, verse 9, about this new nation that we are. I see, I just want to draw out that correlation. I know we've been in 1 Peter, and you perhaps thought, well, this would be an opportunity to take a break from it. But we didn't really cover this verse when we covered it. We didn't really cover it in, in the extent that I would have liked to. And I think it's because the Lord was leading me to save it for this day, to bring this great correlation between the freedom of our nation and the freedom we have as a holy nation. We're going to talk about that in just a second. Let's read our verse, just one verse this morning, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Peter says, But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Let's pause a moment for prayer. Father, we thank you. 
for the birthday of this great nation. But Lord, we also thank you for the fact that our greatest freedom uh, was not proclaimed on July 4th, but it was proclaimed from a cross. It was proclaimed the moment we surrender to you as Lord and Savior of our life. And it is proclaimed every day that we live in your name and live for your glory. Lord, I pray that we would see this correlation between the two. And perhaps on July 4th, not only would we proclaim the great American freedom we have, but Lord, the great spiritual freedom that we have or can have through you, through your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. Looking at this perspective of verse 9, there's some words that Peter uses to identify a people he is talking about or talking to. He is talking to, he says, a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his, being God's, own special people. And at first, if you read this and if you know the Old Testament, you might read this and think, well, is he talking to the Israelites? Because this sounds a lot like the terms that God would use when he is addressing his special people, the Jews, the Israelites, especially as he was uh, delivering them out of the hand of Pharaoh and delivering them through the wilderness and delivering them into the promised land and giving them that great gift. But Peter's not talking to the Israelites here. He's talking to a different group of people. When we realize that Peter's not talking to the Jews, nor was he talking to the people of any particular culture or ethnicity, we must ask the question, then what is the identity of this special people, of this chosen generation, of this holy nation? Who is this? It's the church. That's who he's talking to. It's the church. This is those people who have surrendered to Jesus as Savior and Lord, that call Jesus their Savior and Lord. And so the question must be asked, what does Peter mean in these terms that he uses? Why are they, we, a chosen generation? And if the Bible is always applicable, then how does this apply to me in 2018? Because particularly, for instance, this term, chosen generation. Generation generally is a term that refers to a time period. How can they be the chosen generation and we be the chosen generation? In the original language, remembering the New Testament is written in Greek, we must understand that the phrase here is a reference not to a time. It's actually a reference to an offspring. In fact, some of your versions might actually say a chosen race, a chosen identity. Some of the newer English translations will say race to give the impression that this chosen generation is a part of a lineage, part of an, an ethnicity. But this is not a race of color. It is not a race of ethnicity. It is not a race of culture. The chosen offspring, the chosen race are those who respond to the call of Jesus Christ to be saved. If you have surrendered to Jesus as Savior and Lord, your race has been changed. You are no longer white. You are no longer Hispanic. You are no longer English or European or Anglo-Saxon or, or whatever you want to say. You are now in Christ and of Christ. Paul puts it like this in Galatians 3.28. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is neither male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now that's, that's not to say that, well this is, this is giving credence to the gender identity thing that we're going through right now in our nation, that Jesus did away with gender, that's not what this is saying. It is talking about identity. You no longer identify yourself by your human means, but you are now identified by your spiritual means, that is in Christ. So, you know, when you're filling out one of those applications and it asks for your ethnicity and it puts like 
white Caucasian or non-white Hispanic or something like that, and there's that box that says other, we could literally put other if we wanted to. My race has been changed. My race is now that of Christ and in Christ and of Christ. We can understand this in regards to being an American people. The dream of America was that we would no longer be one particular culture or one particular race, but that it would be a melding pot, if you will, of people that bring together their cultures and form one unity, one united group of people. That when they would arrive here, they would take off the burdens of their previous culture and put on the freedom and opportunity of being American. Listen, my background is Yugoslavian mostly, but it's also like Irish and all kinds of other stuff. I, I couldn't even tell you what my culture is anymore. And so when people ask me, you know, where are you from? I'm, in, I'm, from, I'm from Texas first, right? And then America. And that's that. That's my new generation. That's my new race. In Christ, we are freed from our previous culture of having a sin reign over us. It is no longer our master. Not that we are free from sinning ever again, but we are free in Christ from the pain and punishment of sin. That's another part of our new race. I'm no longer uh, a slave of sin. It no longer reigns over me. It remains, but it does not reign. We've talked about that in weeks past. The second term he uses, a royal priesthood. Ooh, I like that. Haven't you ever wanted to be considered royalty? I've talked about that before. You are all in Christ, princes and princes. Princes and princesses. What, what is he talking about here? A priest. In the Old Testament, again, we might think he's talking about the Israelites. Priests were those individuals that prepared the elements of worship, that administered the sacrifices on behalf of the people. They mediated between the Israelites and God, and they mediated the, the law between God and the Israelites. And so part of our new identity is in Christ is that we no longer relate to God through priests because in Christ we have all taken on that new identity of being a priest, and we are able to direct, or to directly relate to God the Father because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. We are priests because we relate to the high priest, that is Jesus Christ. But why does he say that we are a royal priesthood? The royal priests were those that, that only focus on the royalty, to the king of Israel exclusively. While the non-royal priesthood served the everyday common folk, the royal priesthood served the king and the king's family. Well, we are those that serve and relate to the highest of priests and the king of kings, Jesus Christ. We are royal not because we have taken on that identity on ourselves, but we are royal because of the identity we have taken on in Jesus Christ. We are made that way through our relationship with the king of kings, Jesus Christ. We can understand this in regards to our, our new identity here in America because of the changing of standing that citizens had in this country once freedom from England was obtained. The government rule before that was one of tyranny and monarchy that ruled and separated itself from the people that served them and taxed them. The, the crown of England was funded by the taxes and fines levied against the people who had no access to said crown. Part of the fury of the American Revolution was this cry, no taxation without representation. They were tired of not having the ability to be in front of the king and not having any say-so in what was going on. 
And when this new government was being formed through this new nation, the idea is that the government would be one that represented the people of the United States. That's why the Constitution preamble starts off, we, the people of these United States. It would be 100 plus years before Abraham Lincoln would later say these words in his Gettysburg Address, this nation under God shall have a new birth of freedom and that government of, of the people by the people, for the people, shall not perish from the earth. With our new American freedom, we were given access to the government. We were no longer under the government. We were the government. Part of the American dream is a realization that we are no longer separated in any way from those who govern us. I saw a, a, a thought. I can't remember where I saw it or heard it. But it said we need to stop referring to those who represent us as those who lead us. They're not our leaders. They're our representatives. They are for us. They are biased. They are from us. They make decisions based on what we tell them to do. They are our representatives. That's part of the American dream. And in our calling from God to salvation is the realization that we are no longer separated from God by sin, nor is our spiritual relationship with God mediated by some other party. You can bow on your knees and call out to God directly. You do not need someone to pray on your behalf. You pray directly to the Lord God Almighty. And that's not the American dream. That is the Christ-revealed reality. You are a royal priesthood and have direct access to him. The next term he uses, he says, a holy nation, this holy nation. Again, it sounds like God's label for the nation of Israel. To be holy means to be set apart from the rest. And, and Israel was. They were set apart from the rest. But, but now this nation that is set apart from the rest is not because of ethnicity. It is not because of family lines. But, but, but because of our ad, ad, adoption into the family of God through Christ. You see, Israel forfeited this great honor of being God's holy nation when they rejected Jesus as Messiah. And that is exactly what makes the church God's only holy nation. Is that because we have accepted Christ as our Lord and Savior. We can only be a part of the church when we fully accept Jesus as Savior and Lord. As Messiah. As the promised one of old of God. And in, the, in, the name, in, in that name is the identity of our community. We are not individuals that believe in Jesus. And maybe we attend a group every once in a while. We have made a great effort to stress that the church is not this building, nor is it the representation of the name First Baptist Church. The church is those that have been brought in under the banner of Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior. And everyone who flies that banner above them has been bought and paid for by his precious blood. And this is what makes us holy. This is what brings us into this new nation, the nation of Christ the nation of the church, and this is what unites us. The idea behind the word nation is unity, a common bond, a common heritage, Christ our Lord and Savior. In America, our common bond is not our background. Our backgrounds vary. Our common bond is our present and our hope for the future. Our common bond is we believe everyone should be given opportunity and freedom and even if we disagree with one another, everyone should have the freedom and rights to express themselves as long as we do not tread on another's freedom. 
And we fight and we die and are willing to give our lives for that freedom, even if we differ from one another. And that is what brings us together. That is what makes us a different kind of nation. We have a stronger common bond, though, in our holy nation, the church. It is the bond of the blood of Jesus Christ. And it is the bond of love. The bond of love that is poured into us from God through His Holy Spirit. A love that is beyond explanation. A love that says, I do not have to agree with you, but I love you anyway. You might prefer green carpet and I prefer seafoam blue. But I will die for the sake of my preferences, for the sake of our unity. And that's the love of Christ. It says so much more than that and so much deeper than that, obviously, than carpet color. It goes beyond that. But understand that our com commonality, our nation is brought to us by the death of our Savior and His resurrection, a cost that can never be repaid, and we should always remember every single day, not just one day a year. Finally, he says, His own special people, His being God. We are God's own special people. A remembrance of what God placed above the people of Israel when He chose them and delivered them from Pharaoh's hand. When he delivered them through the wilderness and then brought them to the promised land and even delivered that to them. America is not the new Israel. And we certainly have not replaced Israel in God's own special people. But there is something special even in 2018 about being American. Wouldn't you say? About being in America, there's still something very special about being in America. Despite what the media tells you, despite what Hollywood would have you believe... We are still a very special people here in America. My parents who've retired and they've had an opportunity to do some traveling a few years back went to France of all places. And when they got back, I had an opportunity to talk to them about that. And I said, so do they really hate us like all the movies show? And my mother said, oh, no, quite the contrary. They are thankful for Americans and thankful for America, especially still for World War II. Listen, America is still seen as a special place, and its people still a special people. Don't believe what you hear on TV or read on social media. America is still a special place, and we are still a special people. But Peter is addressing the church. And no matter what the world tells you about the church, and there are a lot of negative things out there about the church, even in the church there are negative things that we are being told about the church, the church is still God's special people. The church may not be doing this right or that right. And certainly there are things that we could be doing better. But nevertheless, we are his own special people. And this is something, church, we need to get and we need to remember. Our life is not about who we are, but whose we are. Our specialness is because we are Christ's. We belong to him if he is our Lord and Savior. And this is the deeper meaning of the close of this verse. To go from darkness into his marvelous light is the essence of our salvation. Without him we are wandering and lost because of our spiritual blindness in our spiritual darkness. But Jesus, who is the light of the world, brings us from this darkness to his marvelous light. And his light is not a mere flash in the pan, but a sustaining forever type of marvelous light. Again, regardless of media or politicians, America is still a light in this world. A beacon of hope and opportunity that people are still coming to in the droves. When I go to the medical center, I can count, uh, I mean, I can almost count that I'm going to talk to somebody from a foreign land that is doing work there uh, from their country. 
for our country. And they prefer doing their work here. We are still a special, special place. This morning I've used a singular verse. I've tried to draw some comparison between our great nation of America and the greatest of nations, the holy nation of God's church. Are there similarities? Certainly. Are there differences? Absolutely. But where these two roads converge is the great freedom of God's holy nation, the church that we've been granted because of our great nation, America. Have you ever thought about the wonderful freedoms you have and can practice because of the nation that you live in? Many places around the world, the name of Jesus cannot even be mentioned for fear of death or punishment or persecution, for fear of, of arrest. And yet you live in a country where not only can you proclaim the name of Jesus anytime you want, but you can sing praises to him out loud in the store. You can go to a store where they play music that praises his name over the speaker. You can go to eat the Christian chicken six days a week at Chick-fil-A. Come on. We have this freedom to worship. And in verse 9, we see the purpose of God's holy nation. You see, the purpose of America was for freedom. The purpose of God's holy nation, the church, is a little bit different. It says in verse 9, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because of the sustaining freedoms we enjoy here in America, we still have the right to do this, to proclaim. The proclamation of the praises of Christ is something that every Christian can do anytime, anywhere. But do we? Do we proclaim it? To proclaim means that we tell forth, and specifically to those who are unaware. Again, a great freedom we have in this nation. But do we? You know what's always interesting about this time of year is a week out, people start popping fireworks, right? I, I mean, for the last three nights, we've been hearing the boom, 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 boom. Sounds like, sounds like the revolution has started already. But every time I hear that little pop, I know, at least I try to think anyway, these are their, their way of proclaiming their great freedom. Their way of saying thank you for the freedoms I have here in America. Their way of remembering of the price that was paid so that we could have this great freedom. And as the 4th of July is purpose for the proclamation of our American freedom, I must ask, Christian, church, do we take full advantage to proclaim the freedom we have been granted in Christ. Because to not do so would be like not practicing the other. The name of Jesus is worthy of our proclamation day and night. And to not take a full advantage of the freedom we have in this country to proclaim the name of Jesus is to miss out on a freedom that many people are not given all over the world. And if we do not feel the obligation now with the societal freedoms we have in America, what will happen if or when those freedoms are taken away? What will happen with our proclamation then? First Peter was written to Christians who were being persecuted because they would not reject the name of Jesus, but instead stood firm in their faith and suffered because of it. May we feel the same resolve now while we still have the great freedoms of this nation that were given to us by the lives and the courage of others to proclaim before we lose it. Before we say, I remember when... I could say the name of Jesus and not fear punishment. I'm not saying it's coming in our lifetime, but most prognosticators say it's probably coming sometime down the line. You only have to read Revelation to read. It is coming. Lord, help us indeed. But may we enjoy the freedoms we have now and proclaim.
Let freedom ring, not only for America, but for the name of Jesus Christ. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this nation we live in. I thank you for the great freedoms we enjoy here.